This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and we have a unique experience this morning. We're with Kyle Ewing. He's the founder and president of TerraSlate. I had the pleasure of meeting him recently at a horse event, but is it the signature flight terminal outside of DIA? And Kyle is about to fly, I think, to Houston. That's right. I headed down to Houston on the jet this morning to see some clients in the oil and gas industry. So you'll all have to cross your fingers for a good meeting this morning and this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) So a unique experience, but we do them on location, which is fun. So Kyle, with that being said, tell us about your business and who you serve. So my business is called TerraSlate. We are a company that makes treeless paper that's 100% waterproof and ripproof. And I asked me, why do you need paper in a digital age? Well, what I tell you is there's millions and millions of things that not only get printed, but that get laminated and or handled heavily. So something like a restaurant menu is always a good go-to example. They get handled by maybe 100 people a day and they get wiped down and used and they get spilled on. People put hot coffee cups on them. They get wine or salsa spilled all over them. What's cool is you can wipe it clean. So in a restaurant, that's very advantageous. Uh, The other benefits are you can print it through any laser printer and you can write on it with a pen. So instead of printing out a sheet and then taking it over to the laminating machine and then feeding the laminating machine one sheet at a time with traditional laminating pouches, you can put a ream of TerraSlate in your printer and click go. And when it comes out, it's done. Bang, 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 bang. You can do 500 in two minutes. We do everything from restaurant menus like I was talking about to work with biotech firms in their labs. The paper is non-porous. So if they're working with hazardous chemicals or something like anthrax, the paper can go into the lab. It can get written on or used. Usually uh, it's a chart, some type that's being filled out, and then it can go in a chemical bath and go out of the out of the lab. You don't have to type your notes in the lab anymore. With grocery stores, we do a lot of price tags as well as the, the behind the scenes manuals and procedures. So next time you go to Whole Foods, touch the price tags. Those are all done on TerraSlate. A couple other cool things. We do maps and nautical charts for the military. We work with all four branches of the military, as well as the Coast Guard. And we've been having a really good time with it. You know, funny enough, a customer called me the other day and asked, how does TerraSlate react with plutonium-236 or whatever the isotope was? And I said, I have no idea. Uh, (laughs) I don't have any way to test that, but I'd be happy to put some samples in the mail, let you test it and let me know. So I'm very excited to hear how that works and if that works at all. I think folks are going like TerraSlate and the paper that you developed. And they're going, how in the world did you think about this? And what drove you down this path? Because you're a bit of a serial entrepreneur. For sure. So this is actually my third company. The first one I made a successful exit from, bought myself a sports car, bought my wife a house. The second one, I would say I failed on. And then the third one is TerraSlate. So we're hoping that we can do two out of three, <laughs> at least. That puts you in the Hall of Fame in baseball, right? <laughs> hey, good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, so TerraSlate's been around for how long? Five years. Okay. And I think what's interesting is people are going, well, can you go back to kind of the genesis of the idea and how you went from the genesis of the idea to product development to then, did you have a market in mind or were you going to develop the product and find a market? Sure. So I came at it opposite of that, but maybe in the traditional sense where I identified a problem and I tried to solve that. And that problem was students traveling internationally have a really bad habit of losing their passports. My friends that studied abroad in college all lost their passports. And then it was a big problem to get to an embassy and prove their identity. 
because they didn't have any documentation to prove their identity and then get them back home. So my thought was I would create a backup version of your passport that would allow you to take it with you when you're out adventuring or hiking in the jungle or scuba diving, and you could leave your real passport at the hotel or in the dorm room safe. And in order for it to be useful, better than just like a a sheet of copy paper, the paper itself needed to be waterproof and ripproof and durable. It was a good product. One of the coolest things about it was if you lost your real passport, you could take this to the embassy and they could then immediately issue you a new physical passport that you could then get home with or go on to your next country. The great thing about it was I sold, I think, at least two or three a week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it didn't take long to realize that I had invested a significant amount of money in the research and development to make this paper and selling two or three a week at $12 a piece. I would literally never recoup that investment. And, you know, that was sort of the head scratcher moment. What what am I going to do with this? And funny enough, a guy called out of the blue and he said, hey, Kyle, I love your product. I bought it for all three of my daughters. I think it's great. But can I buy a case of this paper? And I said, yeah, definitely. As a matter of fact, it's two for one Tuesdays. I've got a whole basement full of this stuff that I can't get rid of. So he bought a case and, and I forgot to ask him like, what are you doing with this? What are you going to use it for? I didn't ask any questions. I didn't even get his phone number, right? Like You were so excited. I was so excited. I sold to him. I shipped it. And then I had to put my own phone number in the FedEx label because I didn't get his phone number. And I had this system of Google Voice ring through transfers so I could have a business line that would ring to my cell phone. But the problem was I couldn't see his number. And so I got off the phone. And I was like, whoops. So anyway, the next time he called, and luckily he did a couple weeks later, I got both his email and his phone number. And I asked him, I was like, well, you know, what are you using this for? And he said, well, I'm an oil and gas guy. I do the exploration. And then he maintains the rigs and the pumps and what have you out in the field. And what he said is regular paper gets soaked by the rain and oil gets on it from people's fingers and it smudges and it renders it useless pretty fast. And so they tried laminating, but then you can't write on lamination. And so they're kind of in this weird space. And all of a sudden, he figured out that TerraSlate would work really well. He could print it through his own printers. And then the operators in the field could just use like a regular hotel or a gas station pen, fill out their maintenance logs and charts, and they could leave it with the rig. And it wouldn't matter. It could get rained on for 100 days in a row and oil greasy fingers didn't make any difference. So that was sort of the aha moment of, okay, this material is not just for this one purpose, which was the backup passport. There might be a whole array of industries that I could approach with this. Were you married at the time? I was not married, but I was dating Ashley, who is my wife now. So what was that dialogue like when she'd come over and you'd have a basement full of paper? What was that like? You know, she is one of the most understanding and supportive women in the world. She's got a good sense of humor. Because I think I took over the basement almost immediately. And then I took over, like, we kind of have like an office in the house. I took that over and then I took over the dining room. And then the one, the second I had one thing like moving towards the kitchen and the family room, it was like, okay, you need to get an office. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. Yeah. Yeah. So like the living room was the borderline and I got one box of paper over that line and then got an office. You know, it's interesting when you were talking about the various uses you mentioned, the thing I always try to find is there's a pain point that somebody has before they find your product. 
and then they find your product and then you get some interaction with them after they use it. And it's basically solving that problem. Let's talk about what's the most exciting market that you're working in right now. Yeah, the most exciting market is always the military. We get these really fun emails and they come from, you know, a captain or a general or what have you. And it'll starts with unclassified. And then it has a very official sounding email body and then a very official signature. And those are the most fun because sometimes they tell us what they're using it for. And sometimes they ask us a million and one questions and then we don't really get to find out. But what's cool is we've got our paper in, in submarines for the U.S. Navy. It's in all sorts of ships. We've got it in aircraft. We do a lot of work with the Air Force Academy. Sometimes we do the printing. Sometimes when it's classified, we ship them the paper and they do the printing themselves. They, you know, We did an implementation where they asked us how to print. And the good news was it was about three bullet points long. The guy that I was working with was a really, really nice guy. And basically to the effect of you open the box, you put it in the printer and you click print. <laughs> He was just, he still teases me that that was the best and easiest implementation he's ever done because there's, there's no technology to fail. It doesn't have anything electronic. doesn't matter if it gets wet. You know, you just put it in the printer. It can be hacked. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is that is one of the coolest things we do besides the military is we print certain things or other companies will print things that they can't have electronically. So I will give you an example that's not one of our clients because I'm, I'm not allowed to disclose that, but I can give you an example that would be a similar use. So for instance, Coca-Cola doesn't keep the recipe on a computer, right? Because that can be hacked from anywhere in the world. What they did is it's on an actual piece of paper and it's kept in a safe because you cannot hack a piece of paper. It's the most secure form of communication that there is. It's not possible to get it from anywhere else. You have to physically come get it. So yeah, that's like capturing the typewriter ribbon. Which used to be the game. Right. And you're an intelligence guy, so you know that exactly. And you can handwrite it. People say, well, at some point you have to type it and then you have to print it. That's not true at all. You can write it with a pen. We're in the midst of developing with a nanotechnology company, these micro particulates. And what they are is these little hexagonal pieces, but we can make them any shape. But what we'll do is we'll put a, we'll put a logo on it or we'll put somebody's initials. So if I was going to make one for you, I could put BR or WR, and on these nanoparticles, and a human hair is, I think, 100 nanoparticles wide. I'm going to butcher the science here, but I'm the business guy, so hopefully that's okay. These particles are 40 nanometers wide, so less than half the width of a hair, and we can mix them in the paper when we make it. And here's why that's cool, because if you had WR paper, you could print anything you want on it, and you could give it to somebody else, and with a magnifying glass, they could find these little specks here and there on the paper and they would be able to see the shape. Source code. That's exactly right. And they would be able to see that it says WR or the name of your business or your logo or whatever it is to the regular person. You, can't, you wouldn't see it at all. It would just look like a speck and it won't photocopy. You can't photograph it. You can't lift it out of the paper. So it makes it virtually impossible to counterfeit a document. And so we're going to do all kinds of things with deeds, certain types of contracts, banking documents, as well as military applications. You know, I think about as, as you can solve a problem, you know, which is what you're doing. I think back to part of the original story, you two out of three successes and one not so much. Yep. On the not so much success story, how much of that played into Tara Slate's success? I 
hear regularly that you learn more from mistakes than you do from success. And I think in entrepreneurship, it's magnified to the nth degree. And so your education comes from failing, not from succeeding. When you succeed, you think you have a hot hand. It's like being on the basketball court in the NBA finals and you make a couple shots that maybe wouldn't be high percentage. All of a sudden you feel like you got a hot hand. That basket is about as as big as a, a truck. You can throw it from anywhere and it'll go in. The hard part is recognizing that's not true. You don't have a hot hand. That's not a thing. You can be really good. But the problem is success makes you think you're better than you are. And so a failure is what will cut your knees out really quickly and will teach you all the things that you would miss if you just thought you were hot and you could touch anything and make it work. So a couple of the key learnings are, this was in the transportation industry. I created a company called Testline. We used Teslas to compete with Uber and Lyft directly. So we had an app. It was Colorado-based. You could go from anywhere in Colorado to anywhere in Colorado because that's where our luxury limousine license permitted us to be. What I learned is you don't want to run a business that's 24 hours a day. I learned a huge amount about hiring and staffing because just to keep a small fleet of vehicles on the road 24 hours a day, you need four drivers per car. So every time you buy another car and Teslas are not inexpensive, you got to have four more drivers and then they turn over because it's an easy job to do. We had really high standards, so they went through a training process, but then they would take this experience and move to Cincinnati or whatever, right? And so the single most valuable thing I learned out of starting Testline was how to hire good people and how to figure out that they're not good right away. And then you have to move on. And nobody likes to fire people. So the emphasis is always on, can you make a really good hire? And are you able to say, I am in a crisis. I am going to drive all of these cars myself, or I'm going to get some more people. That's still not a reason to get a bad hire. A bad hire will do worse things for your company than you staying up all night and driving all the rides or what have you, obviously within the legal limit of number of hours you can drive and being safe and what have you. But still, a good hire not only is good for the business, but he or she becomes a good example for all of the other employees that you have. And so if you can create that culture of like hard work, customer service facing, it spreads. So it works in reverse. If you have a bad employee, that can spread too. So hiring was something I did more of than I'd ever done in my life. And that was the biggest learning from Testline. So do you have a lot of employees with TerraSlate? You know, we do. We have 14 people here in Denver that do the printing. They do printing and production. We have, in addition to that, we have three manufacturing facilities around the country. One is in Houston, where I'm headed to today. One is in New Jersey, and then in Wisconsin. And so those are large-scale plants. What's wonderful is that the traditional paper companies' business is declining at 9% a year. So these mills, which have been around for 100 years, have no business. And when it was five years ago, kind of hard for us to get mill time. Now they compete for our business because we keep the mills open because our business is up and to the right as fast as we can go. And so we ship things direct from there. Uh, and then we do ship things from Denver if it's printed materials. So we have a pretty big staff to, that manages and operates those mills, but they work on a, a contract basis. So for, for my personal interest, so if I have a document that I want to destroy and it's on TerraSlate paper, what's the destruction process look like? So TerraSlate can be put in any paper shredder. You can cut it with scissors. You can punch holes in it. It doesn't burn well, but you can burn it. Uh, we don't recommend that because we don't like to put carcinogens in the atmosphere. It goes against our whole sustainability and not cutting down trees aspects of the business. 
but yeah, uh, a paper shredder, a, a standard office one will do it as well as the military ones, which as an intelligence guy, I'm sure, you know, take a piece of paper and they basically make it into dust. Yeah. I can't, can't glue that back. To you can't glue that back. You know, you get the diamond cut I and mean, it works great. It's no problem at all. You know, as I think about the contrast, you know, you were talking about all the people you're trying to hire for test line. And then you look at the rapid growth of your company. Now, what are the chief challenges on a rapidly growing company that you're facing? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that people love to say to me, and it makes me cringe every time is, oh, well, that's a good problem to have. Like you're growing so fast, it's, it's an issue. What they are dismissing and not realizing is that doesn't mean it's not still a problem. One of the hardest things about growth is being able to create systems that are scalable. So, okay, we're going to print X amount today, but tomorrow we're going to print 10X that. How do you get the people trained up to run the equipment? And then you got to get the equipment and half of it comes from Japan. It's got to come over on a ship and then it's got to be custom installed. And then you got to call the power company because we need yet again to upgrade the power line, not just inside the building. We have to upgrade the wire that goes all the way down the street you know, from the hub. There's a learning point, right? Right. And it's phenomenally expensive to do that. And every time we get another piece of equipment, we got to up the power. And so there's a lot of processes to go through to do that. So you get a big order, you know, this time, almost exactly last year, Whole Foods called us and I had been working with them for three years to put this deal together. And it would die and it would come back and it would die and it would come back. And then they said, okay, here's the green light. We need this literally right now. And so we ran 24 hours a day to get the material to them. And we did not have the capacity to do that because we were already running at capacity in the process of adding more. But all of a sudden, then we had to add 2x capacity overnight. And so, you know, we figure out how to run three shifts a day. A lot of that is me staying at at the facility and running the equipment during the swing. You learn how to do maintenance, don't you? Yeah. Well, and we, you know, we had maintenance techs at our place all the time. I mean, we have like dedicated parking spots for them. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. Because what's interesting is the printing presses that we use are designed to print all types of regular paper that comes from trees and comes from tree pulp. Ours is fully synthetic. So it's a different thing to print. It's not harder on a regular basis, but it is harder at really high speed because all of the the feeding mechanisms are designed to work with paper that's porous, air will go through it. So when you suck it up, a little bit of air will go through it. That can kind of help it get the top sheet, but not the sheet under it. Ours is completely non-porous. Water or air will not go through it. And so when you suck up the top sheet, you may get the bottom sheet stuck to it. And so then we have these, they're called air blades or knives, and they blow from the sides now. And that blows air in between the sheets to make sure that you get the top sheet and the sheet that's stuck to it gets pulled back, back down. Things you learn. Right. And to do that at very high speed is difficult. And so those ramp ups, you know, we're working with the tech. One of the techs famously said at the office, like, he's like, it's not what it was designed to do, but it's what it can do, which is what it, which is a quote he took from, I think, Apollo 13, when the, the whole thing is broken. And they're like, you know, we know it's not designed for this, you know, and I need a sock and some tape and we're going to figure out how to, like, we do that a little bit because the equipment wasn't really designed to do what we do. And so we run it fast and it gets hot. And the good news is after five years, we're getting really good at it. Well, there, there was somewhere, I don't remember where I read, or maybe it was you talking about it, where when you were first testing your paper in your house, and I think you had a printer meltdown or something in, in that one. Yeah, we ruined a few different pieces of equipment 
the challenge of making synthetic paper is that if you make it out of plastic, it's rigid and it won't go through a printer because it has to be able to flex and bend to get through the paper path of any printer. And so, you know, the first iteration is rigid and it will break if you bend it. Okay. So that doesn't work. You can't print it. Then the next iteration is flexible, right? But you put it in the printer and the ink just smears all over it. Like it would, you just can't accept toner. And then, you know, a couple more versions later, it's flexible and and the ink will stick in theory. And then you put it in the printer to test it. And then it melts because laser printers use heat to adhere toner to the paper. But they get hot and regular paper can handle that as long as it goes through quickly and up to a certain point. Well, our prototype just seized in the printer and melted and it just, it seized the entire internals of the printer and had to get rid of it. So that was funny and the whole house smelled like plastic and, you know, Ashley came home and she was like, what kind of science experiments do you do while I'm gone? (laughs) Like, babe, I don't know, but we need a new printer. So, you know, those are funny stories now, but at the time it, it's incredibly stressful because you have this product you're really excited about. You just spend a bunch more money and all of a sudden it doesn't work again. And the engineers are like, we don't know if it's going to work. So like, we'll take your money to keep doing iterations and, and new prototypes. But like what you're trying to do may not work. And so eventually we did get some that's flexible, that toner adheres to, and that's heat resistant up to 450 degrees. So you can run it on a commercial press or a regular printer. And you're like, it takes a long time to get there. You know, I think about the humbling process that you've been through. I mean, you get one thing and you go, this is a great idea. And then you go, but, and you go, this is, we finally figured that out. No, not so much. And you keep going back, thinking about your other pursuits. You're a triathlete. When you look at the triathlete credo and discipline and so on, how much did that play into what you're doing in your business? You know, I think that's a great question because Athletics and business crossover significantly for me. I skied professionally for a while out of high school and then sort of in during college a little bit. I got injured before the Olympics in 2006. So I didn't get to compete, but I got to go. Uh, and so I got to uh, support you know my friends and, and teammates on an Olympic level. And I thought that was wonderful. It was a really good experience. You know, but the, the discipline learned during that it has been hugely influential in my business life and like the perseverance and the like, you know, one more day, one more drill is what you may need to get there. And I always try to like envision, this is super like funny and a little bit abstract, but I had this really influential ski coach in my life and he was almost a drill sergeant. His name was Bobby Aldegary and I'll send him this so he he can evaluate my story. (laughs) Um, So, but Bobby was really tough. You know, there was no room for mistakes. You're on time or you're late. You know, you're five minutes early or you're late. Done, not done. Uh, right, exactly. And there and there's no room for errors or mistakes and you don't waste his time. If he's coaching you, you're not messing around. And it really didn't work for some folks. They hated it because it was a little bit too rigid. For some reason, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. That style of mentoring and teaching and coaching really worked for me because I was so passionate about what I want to do. So I was like, tell me anything I need to know to get to there. And so, you know, that discipline that he instilled was really influential in this example. I'm like taking a long way to get to is that I I try to think of like a miner with a pickaxe, like old school, and he's underground and there's a big ruby in there and he doesn't know which swing is going to get him there, but it might be the next one. And so swing that thing one more time. And then when the rock chips and it blasts you in the face, and you're squinting and you can't see anymore. I'm like, take another swing. 
you know, or you're tired or your hands are blistered, whatever. Like you never know just how many more it'll take, but it it might be just a few. And so, you know, I have that kind of dogged determination of like, I'm going to find this thing. And I don't care how many swings it is because I'm equally motivated on the first swing as I am on the 25,000th swing a couple of years later. So I like discipline a lot. It works really well for me. I have a lot of self-motivation taught by this one guy. And so, you know, one of the things that became a key part of TerraSlate and its success was I would spend one hour a day, a minimum of one hour on the phone doing cold calls. And I would do it at a set time every day. Like, this is my time. It doesn't matter. That's right. It doesn't matter what happens. This is my hour. I'm going to do sales for this hour. And then every once in a while, you get motivated because you get a sale or, you know, a couple of things go well. All of a sudden, it turns into three hours. And that's great. But that doesn't mean you get credit for the next day. You got to do your one hour. You can do more, but you don't get to do less. And then shortly thereafter, I added a, a second kind of a criteria to that is one hour a day on the phone and then five days a month on my feet, literally door-to-door sales. And what I would do is I would go to Main Street in whatever the closest town was that I hadn't been to yet and walk up one side and talk to every restaurant manager on the street and then go across the street and back down the other side. And I would say, you know, this is my product. We make waterproof menus. They'd say, come on, that's ridiculous. It's not laminated. And I would say, you're right. That's the best part. And they would say, prove it. And that was always my favorite question because I knew I could get the sale when they would say that. And so what we do is we would take uh, one of the sample menus that I brought and go put it in the dishwasher at the restaurant. I've seen that video, by the way. Right, right. So in the commercial dishwasher, we run it. And it's hard to refute that because they run incredibly hot. It's water at very high speeds in a commercial dishwasher. Thrashes the dishes. It thrashes, right. And it's compelling because you can't fake it through that. It can't delaminate. And if it could, it would uh, in that situation. So it's what's cool is Terrace is just one solid piece of material with no layers. So it never comes apart. And that allows you to do is you can hole punch it or cut it in any direction or fold it. And then it's still 100% waterproof. And so, you know, one hour a day on the phone and five days a month pounding pavement. And it's a numbers game, right? Like you fail a few times in person, that hurts. But you know, I only got to go to a few more, I'm going to get a sale. And then you refine the pitch a little bit. And you just, you maintain that dis- discipline. Iterate, you know? iterate. Yeah, that's right. A-B testing. So are you still iterating? Oh, yeah. Every day. Well, today. Every day. Yeah, know? we were supposed to talk today, two hours later than we're talking now. Mm-hmm. And I got the text from you says, I've got to fly to Houston tomorrow. And you have clients or prospects to go see in Houston. And you go, yep, go close some business. You know, and I think, you know, for many people, I think they forget. It's much like brick building in a wall, you know, one more brick in a wall. Right. One more brick. And I said, I'm just a bricklayer. Yeah. One more swing of the pickaxe. Yep, you know? yep. Same, same. In looking at some of the other homework before here, you also have some charitable work that you're passionate about. What's got you going with the, I think it was at Seven Ribbons? What's yeah. What's Seven Ribbons about? So the Seven Ribbons Foundation is a charitable organization that I created, and it specifically supports cancer, cancer research um, in an effort to find the cure. I had two aunts that had cancer and, you know, Cancer is pretty influential in your life as soon as you come in contact with it. My brother-in-law recently beat cancer, you know, so it, and he's a young, healthy guy. If there was a guy you would say that this would never happen to, it'd be him. And, you know, so I think it's important to not only be successful as a person in business, but philanthropy is, you know, maybe more important. You're going to touch more people more significantly, or maybe even just at a different level. And so our mission is to support cancer research and raise money by running a marathon on all seven continents 
and then climbing the seven summits, which are the tallest mountains on every continent. And, you know, when I seek pledges or donations, I'll do, you know, we have kind of fun things we'll do. Like you can buy a mile and I create like something that I'll put on my arm and I'll have everybody's name and you can, I can remember that person for one mile. And it seems kind of small, but it's, it's actually really nice. And it, for me on a personal level, it's really motivating during the race. Well, it's intentional. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very mindful and it keeps you in the present. And, you know, you're going through a lot of pain in a marathon and it gives you some perspective and you're like, I could keep running. I can run a little faster. And the same with mountains. I mean, it's very, you get a lot of time for deep thought when you're on a rope line because you're close to other people, but you're 20 feet away. That's usually the interval on a, on a rope team. And the problem is you're all kind of facing the same direction going up a hill. And so you don't get a lot of time to communicate. So you get a lot of time to think. And so that's kind of fun for that. People will also pledge per step and kind of calculate how many steps is in a marathon or up to the top of a mountain. or So it gives us a fun way to relate to people when we're asking for donations. And so we've raised some good money and hopefully uh, some of that will have an impact. Yeah. Making impact, you know, as a result of doing well in business, you know, the more you do in your business, the more impact you can make. Yeah. And sure. important. Well, we're going to shift gears a little bit because I've worn you out on the personal quiz, I think. And I met your lovely wife. Oh, good. Yes, that's right. Yes. So she has obviously influence and support, and that's really a key team member for you as well. So shout out to Ashley, correct? Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, thank you well, for everything, Ashley. In looking, you know, you had the influential coach that what do you do as far as reading to feed the tool between your ears? Yeah. So I'm a consumer of all different types of media. I love reading. I'm a reader, as, as if you had to like categorize me. I love to read on the iPad, you know, sitting on the plane, sitting at the airport. I also love to listen. So I love to listen to books. I have a series of podcasts that I crush on a weekly basis. I love it. When the new one's not out yet, I'm like, okay, come on. It's 11. Oh, man. So economics is my favorite topic. So Planet Money, you know, the guys from WNYC, The Indicator is a daily podcast. I mean, I could go on for like a month on all of them. I've added your podcast, so that'll be fun. A book that I read recently and just finished last week, I, I had it on, on my iPod, was called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And it was recommended to me at a function called The Master's Dinner. It was a guy that I, I know relatively well, but didn't know much about on a regular basis. And all of a sudden, we got talking business. And it was just like mind meld you know, and that was really fun. And I, and he was like, well, you know, what are you reading? And I, and I like told him a couple of things. One of the books is Predictably Irrational by Dan O'Reilly. I think that's how you say his name. And, and then I saw, you know, that was the, my first recommendation. And he came back with Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And I was like, what is that? And, uh, and so I, you know, I, I bought it at the dinner table, oh, downloaded yeah. it. And Kim's whole shtick is that when you're managing people, you have to give them candor or you do them a disservice. And I am super guilty of her first example in the book that she opens with, which is when you have an employee that doesn't do a great job and you say, no problem, I'll take it from here. And because it's easier and it's faster for you to just fix it than to have a teaching moment, go back, show them how you wanted it done or how it ought to be done or what the client's looking for. And so you make that mistake of doing it for them. But the problem is they don't learn. And then what you've done is you've created a monster out of them and out of you because they don't know what you actually wanted because you never told them. And then you're constantly frustrated because they always get to the same spot and you always have to fix it. So like, don't do that to yourself. 
you know, it's hard, especially if it's a new employee or somebody you haven't worked with yet. You don't want to come off the wrong way. You know, everybody likes to be well, right. You want to be well liked by the people you work with, but you have to remember, you know, back to our discipline, like you don't need to be harsh about it. That's not the point. But the point is you say, okay, this looks great. Here's how I want to make sure we do it in the future. And that's, you know, you just need to add these things or, you know, we're going to change this just slightly. And then they say, ah, okay, got it. I know what Kyle wants now. And so then the next time they do a similar task or assignment, they bring it to me. And I'm like, wow, this looks great. Yeah. Going up another stairwell. Right. Yeah. Certainly. And given your growth pattern and you're going like, you're going to have a lot of people to take and bring along because they're not all going to be on board. In looking at, you know, we talked about the failures in the past and how it set you up. So I think we kind of covered the failure side pretty well. You know, if you were going to take and broadcast your company message on the front of your favorite business periodical, whatever that is, what would it say and why? So I would adapt a kind of a a joking slogan that we use around the office, but we don't really use it in public. And that's don't laminate, tear slate, which is the cheesiest catchphrase ever. And so we never use that in print, but we use the message and we adapt it. So it would, our professional version is never laminate again. So, uh, you know, lamination is very hard on the environment. It's very hard to make those clear pouches in in any kind of environmentally friendly way. They're made out of plastic. Then when you, you have to print a piece of paper, then you have to insert it into a laminating pouch and then you have to put it through this heat mechanism that sort of seals it up. Well, there's fumes that come off that from the plastic. And then once it's been laminated, a piece of paper can never be recycled after that. It is only trash. Every time you laminate something, you have created a piece of trash that will last basically forever. And so what we replace lamination with is TerraSlate because it doesn't cut down trees like the piece of regular paper did. You can print it. And then when you're done with it, you can put it in a mixed recycling bin and it'll get recycled. So it's cheaper, it's faster, and it's more sustainable than laminating a regular paper. So my, my message or my ad in the Denver Business Journal or the Steamboat Pilot would, would say uh, something along the lines of, waterproof paper never laminate again with sort of a, a photo that's making it clear what, what you're doing. That's a good message. Well, thank you. I like it. Yeah. For you, as you're looking at your day and you've cut your carve out times, you know, what's the best allocation of time or initiative that's helped you and your company? Business development, 100%. You know, as an entrepreneur, my personal philosophy is to never take investor money unless you absolutely have to. In the entrepreneurial world, it's called bootstrapping. You know, you take your own whatever amount you have or whatever you can dedicate to it. Then you make one t-shirt. And when you sell that t-shirt, you buy two more. And you, and you scale up like that. It's, it's painful because it's, it's very slow at the beginning. But getting on the phone and selling sheets of paper and going out in person and selling menus means that I can make a bigger run the next time I call the mill and I need another round. So you know, there's economies of scale in, in all types of manufacturing. And especially with ours, we make sheets of white paper. And you can take advantage of those economies of scale when you buy 20 rolls instead of two, because there's a changeover cost to make TerraSlate versus regular paper. So you get to distribute that cost over a lot more sheets if you make a bigger run. The problem is you don't want to end up with a basement full of inventory, but you can't sell because now your money is tied up in inventory. You can't do any marketing. Or somebody says, hey, I need you to come down here and do an implementation. You're like, you got to buy that plane ticket on a credit card with money you don't have because all your money is in inventory. So it's a constant balance of, of inventory as well as equipment. You know? And that's some of your background, though, in previous work, is it not? 
when you were, weren't you with Bright Star? Yeah. So with Bright Star, I did demand supply, demand signal forecasting, which is basically a fancy way to f- just tell Verizon Sprint, you know, all the big phone carriers, how many of the new phone they need at each store to maintain a certain level of service. So to have it in stock 98% of the time, this store needs this many phones. And then you roll that up to a company-wide forecast, and then you can put the order is out for how many phones you want to buy each month. And you know, so some of that's helpful. The good news about when you do it on a big scale like that, on like a countrywide or on an international level, is you have a lot of data. When you have onesie twosie sales, the forecasting is really tough because you're forecasting on a data point of like one. Yeah, <laughs> like Whole Foods when they showed up, Nico yeah, like sure. uh, didn't forecast that. Yeah, and so forecasting is wonderful, but it's only as good as your data. And so it can be a challenge to figure out the balance of how much inventory do you want and equipment. So doing sales and getting the money in the door today and then doing your own collections. Hey, Charles, it's Kyle. Hey, I just want to know, you know, I haven't talked to you in a little while. Let me know what I need to do to get a check in the mail. Or, you know, I send an email. Hey, Susan, it's Kyle. Let me know if I need to, you know, attached is the invoice from the order on this date. Let me know if I need to follow up with a person in or a different department and get the check back, you know, because I, I need the money because I need to buy more inventory. I need to buy another piece of equipment. So make the sale and then, and then get the check. <laughs> you know, for you, you know, I was thinking about typical former military maps were pretty large, you know, and I can, we didn't laminate them because it wouldn't laminate that big. We got contact paper and that's what we did. And then you'd write on, then it rain on, then it wash off. And if it had a grease pencil, it'd smudge and you can read it anyways. So f- how big of a document, is it just wide as your rolls? That you could do, yeah. So we make uh, we make the paper on big rolls. They look like giant rolls of toilet paper, and then we cut it down to a sheet size. Our standard largest size is twelve by eighteen, and that that's because most printers that print up to twelve by eighteen can't handle anything bigger without a phenomenally expensive printer to do that. So we make custom size sheets regularly for folks, but typically we'll have a, a minimum order of four thousand sheets or something like that. But the people that need the larger sheets. They always need a huge amount of it anyway. So we don't stock those sizes, but we just cut it to spec whenever needed. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about your discipline to call and go see customers. What would you say to the business owner says, I'm so busy running my business, I don't have time for that? You know, I heard in a podcast, I'm pretty sure that it might have been Tim Ferriss on his podcast. And his thing was, if somebody can do it 80% as well as you can, you need to outsource it or insource it. So have someone else do that. So if it's the accounting that's taken up all your time, there's cloud-based accounting that you can use that's phenomenal. I mean, we do that. We have an accountant. She travels back and forth between the US and Jamaica and she does our books and she does a phenomenal job and I don't care where she goes. You know, everything is in the cloud. We use Xero, which is X-E-R-O. And what's cool is we have third-party prepared financials available at a moment's notice anytime. So if if I'm here to meet with you about a new piece of equipment and you say, hey, I need to see some third-party prepared financials, I got it on my iPad, here you go. This is live as of this second. These numbers are up to date right now. Accounting takes time, marketing takes time. You can outsource marketing or hire the people in to do that. The hard thing for an entrepreneur is giving away control because you think they'll never do it as good as you can. That might be true, but the opposite is also true that they might be able to do it significantly better than you can because this is the only thing they do. So you can hire the person or a company that does digital advertising for you and you think you're good at it, they are way better because they've been doing it for 15 years. They know everything about it. And it's the only thing they think about. You're trying to think about that and all the other pieces of running a business. So if you're too busy 
to get out there and sell, you need to be hiring people or you need to be outsourcing because nobody can sell it as good as you until you're big enough to have a sales team, right? Then maybe they're better. So my thought is follow that. If it can be done 80% as well by somebody else, hire them. Even if you think you can't afford them yet, you hire them and then go sell some more paper till you can pay for them, you know, and then just keep scaling up. That's how you do it. You know, for you, if, if I was to, to ask Ashley or somebody else that knows you, unusual habit that's helped you or your company most, what would that be? My employees call it Kyle Level 11. And this is the scenario. I'll walk into somebody's office and I'll say, hey, I've got an idea. And they all lean back and they roll their eyes and they say, okay, here we go. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what does that mean? And they're like, no, no, go ahead and say it. And, you know, it's that I want to get into reusable notebooks. It would be an eco-friendly notebook that you could write on and then you could erase the pages and reuse it. You know, whatever it is, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's awful, right? But I'm going to execute on it and we're going to try it. And then they know that their job is going to be to support this initiative. And they always smile. They're very nice about it. You know, but I'm very excited about lots of things all the time and doing the next thing with paper. You know, one of the cool things we do now is we make what's called a pod book, P-O-D-D. And that's an acronym for a very complicated thing. But what it is, is for a nonverbal child, they can't communicate through their voice, but they're all there in their mind. And so what we do is we've taken a pod book and we print it on TerraSlate. And then we put like a little, basically just a pipe through it and then a, a strap and they, the kid can wear it, you know, kind of like a sideways, like a hip bag. And they use this to interface with their parents and with their teachers. And what they do is they open it and they say like, I want to go outside now. And the teacher can say, great, let's go at 1030. And then we'll go to the zoo afterwards or whatever it is. And it's really cool because the parents can communicate with the kid and the pod book doesn't break or wear out and its batteries don't die. You know, and they carry it everywhere with them and kids are kids, right? So like it has to be a little rough and tumble. And so we started making these pod books and now we're plugged into this whole network around the country and we're shipping these things to schools and parents and individuals and we're shipping them to Australia and all over the world because it's the best pod book you can get. We do them at our cost. You know, it's a non-revenue generating unit for us, but that's okay because we, you know, we want to be profitable and grow as a company. But as a philanthropist myself, we got to give back. And that's one of the small ways we can do that. And that's been really fun. Yeah, it's a great story. And everybody does the same thing. Here we go. Okay. For the past three years, if there was an overarching belief or protocol in your company that you said, this is, we'll live or die with this. What's that been for your company? So we call them the three pillars of success. And that's quality, speed, and customer service. If you're going to print something, it's similar to accounting and it cannot be wrong. It's got to be perfect. If I'm printing, you know, Whole Foods Green, it better be Whole Foods Green. It cannot be a different shade or a Pantone differential. It's got to be perfect. You know, the other thing is we make white sheets of paper. Well, any defect is glaringly obvious, right? Like you can see a speck bigger than the point of a pen from across the room on a sheet of paper and people do not appreciate when they get paper. So we work really hard to make sure that we have perfectly consistent products the paper has a, a, has a perfectly smooth surface. It's always consistently white, or if we make it in a color that the color is consistent. And then speed, you know, we, in the print industry, for a restaurant in Key West, Florida, for instance, it's a lot easier for them to get their menus made by the local print shop than it is to get them shipped from Denver. So what we end up doing is we compete with every print shop in the country and now 35 countries around the world. 
And so we've got to do it better. That's the quality piece. And we've got to do it faster. And so what we do is we have a standard two-day turnaround time on anything we print. Every once in a while, that kills us, but nobody likes a slow print shop. And we can deliver it with free shipping to that customer in Key West faster than the print shop that's across the street. And we get a lot of business because people will call and say, hey, Kyle, I got your number from so-and-so. It's Thursday. The chef has ordered all sorts of you know, fine foods for the weekend, forgot to tell us, or we sat on this. We need menus tomorrow. Otherwise, we can't sell this food. And so we'll do same-day printing and overnight shipping. Yeah. We get rush orders every day. And the, the whole production facility is designed for speed. So quality, speed, and then customer service. You know, we try to be incredibly easy to work with. You know, the website is very, very functional. It's super easy to order online. I put my cell phone number in my email signature. It's my actual cell phone. People call me all day and all night. You know, I talk to customers all the way here. I'll talk to them all the way to the aircraft. And then, you know, the second we land, so it ends up being a customer service on a regular basis. I'm also the guy in the booth at the trade show as often as possible, which is 90% of the time. And the reason is when a customer walks up and talks to the president of the company, they know I don't have to get an approval to do something. If they need something specific or special, I don't have to go through a queue and run it up the chain and get approvals all the way up and then all the way back down. I can give them a yes or no, or I can give them a price on the spot. And I empower my employees to do the same thing. Like if they are working with a customer and they need something, let's figure out a way to make it happen. You know, it's very expensive when we make mistakes. We try not to do that very often. We have maybe a handful of returns ever. We do try to make it right as soon as possible. You know, whatever that is, we've had paper arrive to another country and one of the boxes got dropped really heavily on one corner and, and some of the pages are bent. So like, you know, we can, we'll refund them for those sheets or we'll overnight them to wherever it is a replacement. And, you know, and people really appreciate that. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody takes advantage of that. But, you know, in terms of being an entrepreneur, it's always better to keep a customer than to lose a customer and have to get another new one. Yeah, it's hard to get another one. Easier to keep for sure. You know, if you're going to offer advice to president of an organization that's taking that role for the first time, what advice might you offer? So my advice to a a new CEO, assuming that they're coming from outside of the company, would be to listen first. Don't go in and knock heads together. Everybody hates that guy or that girl. It may be effective in some circumstances, but you know, spend a significant amount of time listening. You won't be able to take everybody's suggestions or thoughts or ideas and incorporate them, but you will get a really good read of where the company is. And then you can formulate a plan with those people being involved to go forward and, and really drive positive influence in a new direction. Part of that is servant leadership. You know, I'll get down and climb up under the machines and clean them or replace parts, you know, with the techs and with my guys and girls uh, that do that every day. And what I want to show them is that I know how to do every job in this room and I'm very happy to help. Like if we're down a person because, you know, somebody's sick or, or whatever the issue is, I'm happy to run back there and fill in at, at any single point in the process. And my hope is that people then can see me as a real person. You know, I don't sit in an ivory tower. You know, I'm happy to roll up the sleeves and get dirty or get my sleeves dirty. I don't care. You take it to the dry cleaner, whatever. It's fine, right? But the message is that you're willing to go to battle with your team. I'll be the one that stays up all night if it's going to be anybody. And then what that does is it earns their trust so that when you need them to go to battle with you, they're ready to ride at a moment's notice. It doesn't matter if it's last minute or the weekend, or they're already in the midst of a big project. You know, They're ready to saddle up and go. And that's pretty cool. And 
it's cool on an internal type of a focus. But when a customer sees that happen for them, they see your team can gel in a second and deliver for them. They not only feel really special, but they trust you and your team and they like the whole team. And that makes a big difference. You know, people buy from people. So, you know, I don't care if it's the military or, uh, you know, a multinational corporation, somebody is cutting a PO. There is a person doing it and somebody has to get the approval. And, you know, if you can relate to that person and if that person knows you'll go to bat for them, you're much likely to get the business. And at some point we will have a competitor. And my hope is that we've done such a good job for them, you know, standing on our three pillars of success, quality, speed, and customer service, that even if somebody else has another product that's less expensive, they're going to stick with us because they know we're going to deliver. It's seen that leadership model pretty much all my life. That's great. Absolutely. Common misconceptions about your role. (laughs) This is my favorite question, I think. Common misconceptions are that entrepreneurship is easy, but it is made to look easy by design. And there is no entrepreneur of any success that I've ever met that will tell you everything's awful. We're going, it's going badly. We're failing. Um, They're optimists. They'll tell you it's going great, even if it's not, because they know they're going to figure out a way to get it great. And what people see is from the outside that you don't have a boss. You can probably sleep in, you know, you can play golf whenever you want. And all I do is jet set around the world and I just, I'm on vacation all the time and that's it. Sweetness and light. That's right. But you know, what's funny is that's kind of the dream you got to sell because that's what looks good. Like that's what sells TV on Shark Tank. Man, we created this new thing called a coffee cup and we went on Shark Tank and we sold 11 billion coffee cups. And now look at us. And like that success took at least 10 years and they bang their head against the wall more times than they can count in front of people that it would be embarrassing to do that in front, but they're making it look good. So the misconception is that you jet set around the world, you're always on vacation and blah, blah, blah. The truth is I don't play golf. I don't even know where my golf clubs are. I work all hours of the day. My wife and I watch Game of Thrones and I've got a laptop in my lap and I'm typing away. I'm watching, but I'm typing and you're working in the airplane, you're working in the airport, you know, you're making sales calls. And the overhead, you know, boarding gate, and they're like, you at the airport? And I say, yes, but I wanted to make sure I called you before I got on this plane. And people say, wow, I really appreciate that. It's much harder and much more painful than it looks. There's not a lot of worse feelings than knowing you're not going to make payroll unless you close this deal today, right now. And by the way, you not only have to get the PO, you have to get the check because payroll is due on Wednesday to get it paid Friday, right? Because you got to get the government paid before you pay the employees. It's like a whole little process. Uh, and that means you got to have the money in the bank ahead of that. And that can be incredibly stressful because the risk as an employee of working at a small business or a startup is they don't get stability like they would have at a major multinational. You know, a multinational, they make payroll, no problem. And if they were short, they can get a loan in five seconds to cover it. Employees never going to know. But when, when you're a startup, you don't have any of those benefits or resources available. You know, Twice we've missed payroll and I paid payroll with PayPal and Venmo, two people. And I wasn't there. I was 3000 miles away and the accountant called and she was like, Kyle. And I was like, okay. And so I personally PayPal'd and Venmo'd everybody's account, their payroll so that they would get it. But you know, they are dependent on you and they will leave in a second if they sniff any instability. You don't want to treat people that way. You have to treat them well so that they treat you well. And you know, so I called every employee personally and I said, Hey, here's what's happened, but I'm going to get you paid. I'm actually going to get you paid a day early. What's your Venmo? 
handle and your PayPal email address, however you want it, let me know. It's coming right this second. So there's ways to handle it, right? But people on the outside don't see that. They see you flying off here and there and shaking hands and speaking at events or whatever, doing podcasts. They don't see the internal stomach aches that you have almost on a daily basis to try to keep it all together. I, you know, people wonder, and we talked about why do you do a podcast? You know, and I'm such a fan of business owners. And some of the things they'll go like, well, how the heck did you think of that? And then you created a market or solved a problem within the marketplace. And I'm a small business owner too, you know, and what I do, and you worry about your employees, you worry about what you're doing, you worry about your product delivery, you know, and you go all those things and go, and somebody says, yeah, but you know, you control your schedule. <laughs> and they go, uh, no. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for yeah. that. But no, but yeah, I, I mean, then, and, and so all the stuff, it's a common misconception. CEOs up there making, wearing cool clothes and making big decisions about weighty things. And oh, by the way, I'm on my way to the islands. Right. Uh, yeah, no, not so much. For you, past few years, how do you stay motivated with all the stuff that you got going on? I'm a motivated guy just as part of my personality, but there's hard days and there's hard weeks. And sometimes there's like a whole month where you're just like, man, I'm taking it. <laughs> not going what I, the way I want. I think motivation is internal and you can do a couple things to help that motivate the people around you so that when you're having a day, you need motivation, they can kind of lift you up and or cover for you a little bit. One of the things that I saw in this show called Bosch, it's a police show and I think it's on Amazon Prime and they never say it in the show, but the main character, Harry Bosch is a police detective and on his desk, he has a little sign and it says, get off your ass and knock on doors. And I thought that was great. I mean, I think that's perfect. So I have emulated him and I have a sticky on my computer that says the same thing. And what that reminds me to do is I don't care how busy you are or what you're doing or what the crisis is right now, get off your ass and go sell something. True. Yeah. Everything else sort of takes care of itself after that. Right. Oh yeah. For folks that are looking to reach out to you, how do they find you on social media? I'm big on LinkedIn. So Kyle Ewing on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram at bizkyle, B-I-Z-K-Y-L-E. So send me a shout out. I'd be happy to reply. And uh, I'll see if we can get a, a little clip of this on there so you can see it. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, and we, we talked about your favorite quote. And I think about with the growth pattern, and I don't generally ask, so we're sitting here three, five years from now. And if you could come pretty close to what you have as a dream for your company, what do you think your company is going to look like three to five years from now? You know, it, it's something that's funny. I think about it every day and I, and I don't know what it looks like. I could tell you that three years ago, I wouldn't think that we'd have a 6,000 square foot state-of-the-art facility that looks like a clean room right in Denver and three plants around the country. And I hope that it, three years from now, we laugh at the size of that facility that's 6,000 square feet. You know, my hope is to get people to use terrace slate instead of lamination and then use terrace slate instead of paper if it's going to be reprinted all the time. So instead of reprinting the same document or like checklist or maintenance log or whatever it is again and again and again, print it once, use it and then recycle it, you know, on a, all kinds of levels. You know, we have artists using it now for alcohol ink and airbrush art. You know, we had no idea when we developed it that it would work for that and all of a sudden we got involved in this community and they think terrace slate's great for that and that's super fun. We're making one-off signs for food trucks because they put it on the outside of the thing. It doesn't matter. It can sit in the sun and the rain all day and they don't have to get a new one. You know, trade us like an acai bowl 
for a couple prints every now and then, you know, what are we going to charge you a couple bucks for yeah. one sheet? So, you know, I hope that we can keep doing, doing what we're doing, scale, positively change the world in a small way. You know, if we can figure out a big way to do it, we're going to do that too. But even having a positive impact in a small way, it means a lot to me. So I hope we're in three years, 10 times bigger. And I hope we have as good of a team then as we do now. You know, I, I think, Kyle, for, for all of what we've gone on here, we've, we've covered pretty much all the bases. Uh, I think the biggest mistake anybody listening to the podcast could make is if they think that your product has an application for them, they should call and they can find you on the internet. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule. And now you got to go catch your plane. So thanks again. That's right. I really appreciate it. And you know, if, if you're listening and you'd like to get a sample, send me an email or, or go to the website, terraslate.com. You know, we've got sample packs of all kinds. If you're a restaurant owner, I'd love to save you some money on your menus. You know, this is me, ABC, always be closing. So to close of the podcast, I'll give you one, call to action. one last sale and a call to action. That's right. It's been really fun being here. Thanks so much, Bob. <laughs>